Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. We are starting the podcast this week uh, down a host uh, temporarily. He's back in the room being attended to. Uh, status to, to be determined. Uh, hopefully our PR department will let us know uh, Patrick's status later on. So in his... Uh, while he's out, I'll uh, I'll ask his question from last week. Um, with the salary, or two weeks ago. Last episode. Last episode. That's a better way of putting it. No, we didn't take last week off for real reasons. Hmm. Um, with the salary cap staying flat in perpetuity and, you know... Most people are dancing around what the cap cap ceiling as it is, which unexpected player or players could be exposed in the expansion draft. My answer is not many. (laughs) So I went through cap friendly and I went through um, all the teams that had a million dollars or less left in room in the cap. (laughs) Oh, I know that, you know, other teams, you know, a million dollars isn't a lot. So um, in terms of salaries, but um, I didn't go through the whole league. Um, I didn't figure having, you know, needing to go look at New Jersey, which has $10 million in cap space. So I just kind of let that one alone. Um, So I have a list for what it's worth. Um, (laughs) So I don't know that any of them are really like expected or unexpected or like, you know, big enough names to like really bother with. I I mean, there are a lot of teams that, that have put themselves in cap hell because they kept believing that the cap would continuously go up. Or not caring, frankly. It doesn't, I don't know. Depends on but the en- game. But enough about Jim Benning. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So there are a number of teams that have, like, good chunks of their players, UFAs or RFAs that they need to resign, And they, you know, the only cap space they have is basically re-signing everybody for the same amount, and that's not going to happen. So um, they need to make room elsewhere. So my list, as such as it is, um, and I went, it's not in alphabetical order. Sorry for those who feel the need that they need, that it needs to be. Um, But so my list is Tampa Bay, Ryan, uh, Ryan McDonough, and Tyler Johnson. Um, Tyler Johnson's been in this kind of limbo place in in Tampa for a little while, where people are like, "Are they going to trade him? Are they not going to trade him? You know, do we really need him? Do we not?" And you know, GMs who like players tend to do favors for players, and I could totally see um, Brisbois. You know, giving Tyler Johnson the opportunity to go back and play in his home state, um, and he's making a lot of money. So he would—it's—it's it's not totally altruistic. He, you know, 
he would go and, and open up some cap space. Ryan McDonough is kind of an interesting one because he's actually an uh, assistant captain for Tampa, but they don't really need him at this point, and he makes a whole lot of money, and so um, that could go either way. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> And then there's St. Louis. I had Justin Falk, who's also like a, an assistant captain, I think. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, New York Islanders, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, uh, I just realized I misspelled Tarasenko, um, Washington, Carl Hagelin, Dallas, Ben Bishop, um, Vegas, which wouldn't be really all that surprising, Marc-Andre Fleury, there's really no spot for him. And do keep in point. mind, no one's going to be leaving the Vegas team they are exempt from the expansion draft true and i'd forgotten about that so thank you for pointing that out uh but he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season so (laughs) could end up there anyway um uh toronto i had nylander nylander i say nylander is it nylander i don't even know um nylander sounds cooler so it's nylander Okay. <laughs> uh, and then I had Alex Galchenyuk, who is a UFA at the end of the year, but I don't really see him sticking around. Uh, Montreal, Eric Stahl, who uh, is also a UFA. Um, I don't see him sticking around in Montreal either. Uh, Minnesota, Matt Dumba, partly because of the money and partly because it's, you know, hockey and he's not a white player so (laughs) they tend to get shuffled around a lot (laughs) for racist reasons and um colorado brandon sod mostly for money so Mm -hmm. that's pretty much my list okay uh before i uh i'll run down a couple names that i had mentioned uh as john davidson used to say when he did broadcast, oh baby, we have we have a potential blockbuster trade happening on the eve of the trade deadline. Thirty-year-old pending UFA Nick Delorier going from Anaheim to Pittsburgh. Deal, deals like this are going to be the highlight of of um, the truncated trade deadline shows on the Canadian networks tomorrow. Anywho. Um, I tended to focus on some of the older teams and I kind of zeroed in on San Jose. They're easy to zero in on. Very much are. Um, They are at, I mean, they've been at a crossroads for years. I expect Martin Jones will be left unprotected. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's the type of name, you know, Patrick was thinking about. But I had a wacky idea in the back of my head. What if Timo Meyer is left unprotected as a way to convince Ron Francis to take Brent Burns' contract? The reason I bring this up is in this flat cap world and with this aging roster, 
you know, no forwards on San Jose have any trade protection. So in theory, they could leave Logan Couture unprotected. They could leave, you know, Evander Kane, Kevin LeBlanc, Thomas Hurdle, basically, the you know, the top five forwards in salary. But I look at Meyer and I wonder if that $10 million qualifying offer he'll be due when he becomes an RFA in two seasons, given the flat cap world, if it doesn't make more sense to let him go now. Because once this team is good, he is going to be out of his prime. Once so, this team is good, San Jose. Doesn't so I mean a decade from now. Uh, with the new general manager. Absolutely. Okay, okay. But it could, you know, save his owner a little money. I, Doug Wilson doesn't seem like the type to put his captain unprotected. So I, I kind of rolled out Logan Couture. Evander Kane would be an easy, easy person to leave off given his own financial issues. And, you know, subjects that you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> racism, uh, mm-hmm. you know, LeBlanc, he did a solid for Wilson, got a decent contract out of the deal. Hurdle is a UFA ne- after next season. So that might be a better play for, you know, leaving a qualifying forward unprotective. Um but really, they've got to get at least two large contracts off their books of at least, you know, six million or more. And so that's why I was thinking you tie in a a Meyer and a Burns. This this isn't like the Florida Panthers giving up two good players or the Minnesota Wild protecting certain defensemen like they did during the Vegas expansion. Now you brought up William Nylander in the Toronto Maple Leafs, and mm-hmm. I've joked behind the scenes that what if you left Mitch Marner and Nylander both unprotected? Um, which the the team doesn't have to do more than likely unless they make a deal uh, sending out Alex Kerfoot. They can... Protect four forwards, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Nylander. Protect four defensemen in Muzzin, Brody, Riley, and Hall. And they would be fine. They they already have other players, at least one other forward that qualifies uh, for... They can only protect three, three defenders. Well, no, I'm thinking they can protect four and four. They protect their... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that, yeah. The key is they they would have to keep Alexander Kerfoot, who's kind of a trade chip potentially because of his salary. If they want to bring in different players, oof. Um, sorry, live in game up get update. Ryan Reeves might be getting a suspension for a nasty elbow against mm. the Aris. Yikes! Um, so I think they ha- they could have a plan in place to keep four and four. It's making sure they have two forwards who meet the minimum requirements to be exposed. Um, they already have it with with their goalies. They're set there. 
defenseman. They, I, I could see Toronto going seven and three. Or, you know, they, they launder some RFAs for assets to clear up cap space. Toronto will be an interesting party. But I, I think New Jersey, it's a player to be named later. I could see New Jersey acquiring a high-priced player, someone who may need to move from some team for salary cap reasons, say like a Toronto or a San Jose, specifically for the expansion draft, and now might be the best time to do it because they can take on players now for considerable assets come Mm -hmm. the July draft. Because they don't have a lot. Like, I could see them, you leave a Pavel Zaka, a Miles Wood, a Jesper Brett. Well, maybe not Brett, but Miles Wood, Pavel Zaka could be your one of your two forwards that meet minimum games played requirements and are signed through next season. So I have a sne- sneaking suspicion some teams are going to use New Jersey to launder players. Um, not just Jersey. It's also going to be, well, it's apparently going to be Detroit. Um, (laughs) you know, LA hasn't, doesn't seem to want to play that game, but like the, the teams with the, the most salary cap are, um, Ottawa with over 7 million. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, Detroit with 7.7 million, LA with 8.8, and New Jersey with 10. So, but then on the other hand, on Cap Friendly's like front page, where it lists all the teams and available salary cap and whatnot, there are a whole lot of players in the on teams that. Um, have zero salary cap space that are on long-term injured reserve. Whole lot of them. Tampa has five, St. Louis four, Islanders four, Canucks. Well, we won't talk about the Canucks. No, let's not talk about the Canucks. (laughs) The Anaheim six, Chicago five, uh, Dallas five, Pittsburgh which actually has more than zero for cap space, but Pittsburgh has five. I mean, Buffalo has five, and we're not going to talk about Buffalo either. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so like, long-term injured reserve can play into a lot of this as well, um, depending on the injury, depending on the player, depending on the age of the player, depending how close they are to retirement. Um, that could, I mean, that's already saved a ton of cap space for a ton of teams, but you know, I can't, have the rules been changed and I don't, I, I haven't kept up on this. So last I last I was paying attention was like four or five years ago. Can you trade injured players? I know that customarily you don't, I don't think there was a rule for it. I believe you can, as long as all medical basically as long as everything's known ahead of time like this week we just saw Columbus trade Riley Nash 
who is currently on IR to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Toronto can then use his injured reserve status to to gain some cap space since they were up against it. So I, I believe you can, just the same way we've seen players like Chris Pronger, Marion Hosa, Pavel Datsuk have their, you know, injured their injured players who are not going to play again, their contracts have been moved. I think as long as everything's out in the open for a, a player who can potentially play again this season or, or in the postseason, yes, they can absolutely be traded. Because Anaheim has has the most players on injured long-term injured reserve and injured reserve. And with a grand total of $23 million that's or $24 million that's not being counted against the cap. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. <laughs> could, could Ryan Kessler be relocated to the Pacific Northwest? Hmm. 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 Um, yeah. And only two of them are, well, Three. One is two are UF, UFAs and one's an RFA. Yeah. But the other two is it's still like that's 12, 14 million that they're good, that they're on the hook for for another season. So, yeah. um, so that's actually the, the tricky part. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of these teams, they're, they may be right up against the cap, but, you know, they also have a whole lot of players who are UFA or RFA, many of them. Yeah. So they don't have to resign those players. They can find players for cheaper. But at the same time, if you've got a lot of players, a lot of money locked up in um, long-term injured reserve and they come back next season, then that's, that's going to be quite interesting entertaining for a number of teams so going back to tampa for example um currently on on uh injured reserve is nikita kucherov oh how i forgot about him marion gabrick god i forgot they did that deal with ottawa (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, I mean... And, and who remembered he came from Ottawa, you know? Right, well, and that's the thing, though, is that he's 39, making $4.875 million. And he's a UFA at the end of the season, so that doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't have to resign him. Uh, but, yeah, no, so, so Tampa is, like, right up against the cap ceiling, and they still have Nikita Kucherov... Um, yeah, long-term injured reserve, presumably back next season. So, and then on top of that, they've got three, four UFAs and two RFAs, five, four, five. Um, so, yeah. And I, I think Chicago is in the exact same boat where they technically have twenty million available to them, thanks to LTIR. Most of that consumed by Jonathan Taves, who it still bewilders me that we haven't heard anything, no update, no nothing 
Uh, 25.3 million or 0.4. Oh, I'm so, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I've rounded down. Yeah. Bit. Well, but, but the thing is, is that like 4 million of that is one is a UFA and one's an RFA. And so that's kind of, in. Eh. but, yeah, um, so you're Alex pretty, pretty but it make it makes me wonder, will a Brent Seabrook be willing to wave his no move? How, How's the tax situation in Illinois versus Washington? I don't know. Would well, it be? Yeah. Don't, don't even get me started on the tax thing. <laughs> currently, currently, for those who care, currently, um, Washington state is one of four states in the United States that doesn't have a state income tax. Uh, however, <laughs> however, uh, let me guess. Mm, property tax. Oh my God, you have no idea. <laughs> property taxes, sales tax, those things are pretty damn high still. Well, this is why and they're talking, and the state legislature is talking about adding a state income tax. It's not the worst thing. Well, Unfor- you know, unfortunately, in that situation, it doesn't help current residents. Because it doesn't alleviate the property tax anytime soon. Right. But and then, go on. In, in bringing up a Brent Seabrook, a player who is clearly not going to play for the team, nor are they going to reside in the state of Washington in all likelihood, while collecting on these earnings, it could be beneficial for the player. So I, when all amateur tax experts come out of the woodworks in um, in July, I expect to hear that type of scenario played out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what everybody always talks about. It's just ridiculous. It's so like, you know, you go from Washington into British Columbia, and if you spend over, I think it's over $200 Canadian, in Canada and you come back and you declare it, then you get reimbursed for the extra taxes that you paid in Canada if you're an American citizen. However, you've got the, it doesn't really matter because you've got the the difference of, because first of all, no one's going up to Canada to buy a whole bunch of stuff. And second of all, most people aren't going to declare it because it's a pain. And so, it doesn't even really matter anyway because of the the um, differences in the dollars, you know, Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar, and so it's all dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it's all dumb. And speaking of dumb and a lack of understanding of how economics worth, why would anyone pay a first round pick for a thirty three year old rental player in Nick Felino? Why is that a thing? Why don't general managers understand supply and demand? Because they sit there and they think, oh, well, we don't value our prospects and we don't develop them anyway. So what good would a, and we don't quote unquote need a first rounder. So why would we want to keep it? But this guy, we can have like immediate impact to our lineup right now. It's not supply and demand. It's, Immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. Well, I, I think the supply and demand comment 
I'm referring more to the prices that we're seeing in some of these trades. Like usually if there's a, it's a buyer's market on the, as far as the trade deadline is concerned right now, there are very few buyers. There's lots to be had yet. Sellers are still holding these high, high prices. I get that. How quickly are they going to come down tomorrow to make any sort of transaction? Yeah, I, I'm gonna uh, say I, I would not be surprised if a lot of players are just held on to because they can't quote unquote get their asking price, which my supply and demand. If there's a ton of supply, not a lot of demand, cost goes way down. So then again, they, that might be the entire point is oh look at us, we're shopping this player. But gosh, we're asking for too much, so we're never really going to give him up. It's all just a show. And and they're doing this specifically because the Toronto Raptors did not trade Kyle Lowry. Therefore, all the Canadian media will say that's a noble thing to do. <laughs> I mean, TSN is having their full 8 a.m. start broadcast, so they're going to have to talk about something. Um, cause I imagine they will not have llamas or any, um, animals in the studio this year. Well, I mean, now that they have the, the, the Canadian division, do they need to talk about anything other than that? Well, it's all about anything- players they want to bring into the Canadian division. So mm. by proxy, they have to, oh, I don't know. Bring in players from Americans. <laughs> so so they have to only acknowledge the teams by name and name only. Mm. And of course, they're going to talk about the, tw- you know, 2022 uh, Canadian Olympic team. And therefore, mm. players on U.S.-based teams. Hello, Drew Doughty. Although Canadian-based teams are the only ones that matter, even though Canadians play on U.S.-based teams. This has always confused me, <laughs> honestly, because uh, <laughs> I believe if if I remember correctly, the Winnipeg Jets are the t- is the team with the most Americans on it in the entire NHL. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know if that's still true, but that was being said. I think last last season. It- it had, it was true in recent memory, and oh look, they they are sitting comfortably in a playoff position. They will probably be in the postseason. But they are Canadian-based teams, so they are important. However, Canadian players on U.S.-based teams are also important, but only in in that how they can be traded to Canadian-based teams. And there's Drew Doughty. <laughs> Because he will be mentioned on at least two panelists' Canadian Olympic team rosters because that's what they fill time. That's how they fill that dead air early in the morning when nothing's going to happen. Well, you know, I I hope that they they enjoy that when the U.S. boycotts the Olympics. (laughs) No rivalry for them. And then the U.S. based writers have their their um, talking point for the for the next Olympics, where this was the year the Americans were going to take down the Canadians because Carey Price was still going to be the starter for Canada, and this is the best crop of U.S. 
players in their prime since 1996. Mm-hmm. Okay, quick tangent. I do have to point out, since you said we're not going to talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Well, we they, could, but at that point we didn't have to. We didn't have to, but they were down 3-2 uh, the Flyers, ended up coming back, winning a game 5-3. They're on a nice little run here of late. Somebody woke up? Maybe, or the Flyers are just that terrible. Yeah. It's basically going on a streak to avoid cataclysmic, terrible, historically bad results, and they're just bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really wanted to bring it up because Jeff Skinner scored what I believe is the game-winning goal. And looky here, he, he starts playing with the more talented players. He starts getting minutes, and he's producing offense all of a sudden. Isn't that weird how, it, you know, you can have... how that works. Yeah, you can have a talented player, but if you stick him on the third line or the bottom defensive pair... Suddenly they play like their third liner or third pair defenseman. Yeah, without the huh. special teams time. Hmm. It's it's amazing. Well, I mean, there's there's also the I have I have personally like speculated about this before, is that in particular Canadian hockey, although to American hockey also to some extent, you know, conformity is big. You need to conform with the group or else you're bullied or, you know, you don't progress through the system, you're a troublemaker, you get traded a lot, however that all plays out. And so conformity is big, right? You have to like fit in and do do what is expected of you or so everyone thinks. So my speculation in the past has been, what if, what if that is taken to the extreme in that when you put players in positions that are not taking full advantage of their capabilities and they just play down because that's what's expected of, what they think is expected of them. So you can take, so if you took like Connor McDavid, for example, and you put him on the fourth line, would he still play like Connor McDavid or would he play like a fourth liner? Hmm. Especially if he he was there for a while, not not just like a couple shifts in the middle of a game to try to like you know being double shifted or anything, but because conformity is such a huge thing in the NHL in particular, um, you know, do some players take that a step too far, not realizing that they're they're shooting themselves in the foot and playing the part that they're given rather than playing to the best of their ability, regardless of the part they're given. Yeah. And often their part that they're given is new to them as all of youth sports and major juniors, NCAA, you know, European players play pro before they come over to the NHL. They're all put in positions equal to their talent level in theory 
in theory. <laughs> and then when you get to the best league in the world where sometimes the phrase replacement level or uh, replacement player playing at a replacement level is overused, <clears throat> meaning that you could find any number of players to do equally good and or bad. But it it, it it's there's a lot of truth to that. You could swap out a ton of players, and we never get to the point where we teach them how to be a quote-unquote fourth liner playing 10 minutes a night. The best teams, the teams that win, always have that veteran fourth line and not you know a bunch of players on their first or second contracts because they're guys that have been around the block that probably ended up playing the role for more than a few seasons been around the league and they've evolved into that role. Well, like, see, go ahead. Here's something that complicates what I was just saying is that there's also in, in order to conform, you don't, you can't stick out. Right. And so I think part of the problem too, is that if you are put in a position on a team that is less that doesn't use your ability to the best of its ability. Um, you know, it's ostentatious to outperform that role that you've been given. Right. So, yeah. so you're, say you get stuck on the fourth line, but you have first line capability. And so you play down and you play fourth line and you're stuck in fourth line forever because you can't, play to your ability and outperform the people on your line because that's not the way that it's done in hockey. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no. So let's bring your Connor McDavid question back into play. This actually happened to Mitch Marner as a rookie. As we can see now, he clearly has the skill, the talent, the ability, any other adjective you want to describe as a first line NHL player on any team, mm-hmm. maybe even an Olympic team in, in all sincerity, he is that skilled of a player, but he started his career as a fourth liner and didn't do a whole lot of anything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't possess any specific skill set to allow him to stand out. He just has an innate ability to find time and space and to feed the puck to talented players who finish things off. Fourth liners are not finishers. By nature, there are a bunch of good skating players who need that extra half second to execute something, a a good shot, a good pass, what have you. That's why Connor McDavid might exceed in the role because he will have his speed for as long as it's with him. So if he were to be a fourth line player today, playing nine to 10 minutes a game, he could still make offensive contributions and that would buck the norm because he has something that isn't reliant. Oh, I think he would. Would he, if he, if he were, if he were drafted later in the first round, say towards the end of the first round and 
immediately got to the NHL, but was stuck on the fourth line for the first two years of his career, would he still play to the best of his ability? I don't think so, <clears throat> in all honesty, because I think, I think the phrase, you put good people around a player and they play better, is misleading. Because people assume that those good players are making that other player better. When I think what's going on for for some of these players, at least, is that you put a good player with other good players and he finally feels comfortable to play to the best of his ability. Okay. So, so instead of you have good players propping up a mediocre player, which is what is the assumption is, but like Jeff Skinner, you know, is the, oh, you put him with good players and he'll play better because the other players are propping him up. The reality might be Jeff Skinner might really just be that good, but doesn't feel comfortable playing that well unless he's playing with those kinds of players. Hmm. So I think that, and, and I've been thinking about this off and on for a number of years now, and and it's hockey culture doing a disservice to itself because you're putting players who have a lot of potential in limited roles and so they only play in those limited roles because they feel that that is what's expected of them and not what they can actually do and so you know there are a lot of guys who get stuck in third and fourth line bottom pair defenders whatever where you know they don't play to the best of their ability because if they did then they'd move up but because they're told this is as good as you're going to be. You need to play this, you know, at this level. That's what they do. And that's what they accept. Yeah. And so, so I think that in it, like Jeff Skinner, as an example, he is a good player. He can be a first line player, but only if he's in an environment that allows him to feel comfortable playing to the best of his ability. Because I don't think, I think a lot of players in the NHL don't. I think a lot of them are told, be grateful that you're here, that you have a place to play, even if it's only some of the time. And that's it. You know, they, they have to settle. Instead of the idea that players come into the league and then they actually compete for jobs instead of just settling for the role they're given. But then, of course, that would require a totally different mindset from coaches who actually believe in developing talent and not just plugging and playing whatever they can get and hoping it works. So That point alone is why I have advocated maybe we should push back the draft age or a player actually has to declare themselves eligible for the draft. And then we shorten the draft to two rounds, let's say. So players who are ready to join an NHL lineup, they are forced to bet on themselves, get development and coaching elsewhere before they're put into a production environment, as I will describe the NHL. You're just there to produce. What you produce is dependent upon your skill set, et cetera, et cetera. 
But when you draft highly talented players, players who are used to playing with the puck, and last time I checked, and maybe the last rule that will ever be changed in the NHL is they only play the game with one puck. Mm-hmm. So when you're out there, you only get so many puck touches. And I do believe that's important. Like, practice is one thing. You, you can take a bunch of shots. But in the game, if you don't learn how to play with and without the puck, it certain NHL teams that's, you know, get that puck on and off your stick as fast as possible because that's the role that's been drilled into their head. But imagine if, you know, you're drafted like a player who knows how to get the puck on and off your stick real quick or knows how to be a one-time shooting threat in the power player or excel as a puck-moving defenseman whose specialty is a penalty kill. Stuff that you see in other sports where the draft rules are a bit different. But then again, the NHL keeps buying up AHL franchises, as we saw with Chicago this week. So maybe we will actually have a quote-unquote real development league sooner rather than later. Yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> no, neither would I. So here's a, here's a question for you, Cassie, since we use the Jeff Skinner analogy. He's currently the only player on the Buffalo Sabres who has a no-movement clause. Mm-hmm. Will he waive it at a, at a chance to go free and go to Seattle? Where's Jeff Skinner from? See, here's oh, he the, he's from he's from Markham, Ontario. Okay, but <clears throat> he he was scouted and drafted by a party that may or may not have included one uh, Silver Fox, Ron Francis. <laughs> but at least in in the expansion scenario, Ron Francis could take a player that he knows. And no, I I would say knows fairly well. It could actually build him as even if it's a third line forward with spot power play duty, he can at least build a, a lineup that can utilize him to his talents and his abilities while still accounting for whatever quote unquote shortcomings you think he has as a player. I think it'll come down to the coach, and I think it'll come down to whether there's a coach at that point in time or not by the time they get to the expansion draft. If there's no coach when they get to the expansion draft, then I could see Francis wanting Skinner, depending on what his actual opinion of Skinner is, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, but on the other hand, if there's a coach... And the coach has input into what kind of team that they're going to have. I don't know. I don't that, know. I don't know what kind of like a control freak Ron Francis is either. In terms of like letting coaches have input or not, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't know that. I, I, I. It makes me wonder if it wouldn't be better. To have, let's say, a short list of candidates, you draft the roster and then you do your final interview. Because either way, 
this coach will have a very short off season. I mean, I'm still presuming some sort of April start date, but two months prep time. I mean, he may be a little better off than Jordan Bednar was when he took the, the Colorado job years ago in mid August, but not by much. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is it, we're still having the expansion draft in June. We don't have a coach for the Kraken. And presumably everything is on schedule for like the construction part of things. Um, So yeah, I would not be surprised if Ron Francis puts off getting a coach until after the expansion draft because he wants to have the final say in who gets picked up by the team. Yeah. Um, I, could, I mean, I could he would anyway because he's coach, but or he's a GM, but yeah. I could also see him not wanting like any input, you know. This is my decision. I'm going to do it. Yeah, um, and that's very much in his character. And to his credit, a lot of what he's done, still paying dividends in Carolina. And players who have moved elsewhere still performing quite well. And I'm, except for Jeff Skinner, the last two seasons. Yeah. So, I mean, well, also with Skinner, it depends on if Buffalo decides to, like, protect him or not. Um, but, but, yeah, going back to, like, Francis and the coaching situation in Seattle, which just seems damn weird to say. <laughs> <laughs> but um <clears throat> but yeah i don't the the issue that you run into when you do things like that is that is that you can't just pick any random coach to coach a bunch of people that you think are going to play well together you actually need to find a coach who fits the playing style of the team that you've just got or who can work like someone who takes a specific instruction says, this is the way I need you to coach the team. And that has to be either a, a very open-minded individual who can, you know, the way I always describe it is someone who is not my Kung Fu is the best Kung Fu. You, you just take the student that you are given and then you work within their physical capabilities to teach them a skill or you just have someone who, you know, you know and trust. So it makes me wonder, I wouldn't be surprised to see Steve Smith on a coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on Bill Peters coaching staff in in Carolina. He was just let go by Buffalo. So assumably, I would see him wanting a job. He's not a head coach in my mind. But then... Do you bring in someone like Mike Vellucci, who is an assistant who has worked with Francis for years prior to Francis leaving the Carolina organization? Do you, you know, pick any number of Hartford Whalers players Francis still has (laughs) associations with and send Brass Bonanza to Seattle? You guys can have the goal song, for God's sakes. Oh, no. God, no. No. Are you kidding? I don't. They gave the. The city that gave the world grunge, and you want to get want us to use like brass bonanza? 
<laughs> oh, oh, just you would get Pierre LeBrun as your beat writer in a heartbeat. No, you wouldn't, but. <laughs> um, sorry, last night was the second Kane's re- reverse retro night, and it was Brass Bonanza played four times, and I'm just like, Ugh, this song is terrible. Mm-hmm. I, and I believe that was a meme NBC Sports was sending out today. What NHL opinion will get people to, you know, put uh, knives no, up there? A, a couple of days ago, actually. Uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> it gets revisited. Uh, Brass Bonanza is terribly campy, and that's the last thing this need this league needs. Get rid of it. It it it, it, it let it live in the past. See, I wonder. I wonder how much say Todd Lewicki's going to have in all of this because. Um, I can, Todd Lewicki is all about like going, you know, keeping with the roots, right? Staying with the roots of Seattle hockey in general. And so, like, currently there is um, one of the Anaheim Ducks NHL assistants. Actually, no, I don't even know if he's playing. Where's he at? Steve Konowalczyk. Um, coached for he played with, for the Washington Capitals for a number of years in Colorado, Colorado Avalanche, and um, he is he currently with? Oh, he's a scout for the New York Rangers. Um, anyway, but he uh, um, was head coach at the Seattle Thunderbirds, and they won a. Um, I don't know if it was just a WHL championship. It might have been Memorial Cup. but I think it was Memorial Cup. Yeah, so so he has experience as an NHL scout, an NHL assistant coach, and a WHL head coach that's won a championship. So I could see him being part of wanting... I could see Leiwiki wanting him, if he knows about him, I guess, uh, to be or someone like him to be part of the coaching staff, you know, mm-hmm. maybe not head coach, but like an assistant or something, if he wants it. And all this made me think of, I bet Tim Lywicki has a bigger say in the, uh, in the potential. Oh, yeah, Tim, that's, I keep saying, I keep saying, no, I want Todd. That's right. Todd is the, uh, the guy who was with, um, he was the brother who hid, managed he was ceo of of vulcan entertainment which was the parent company that owned the sounders the seattle sounders and um part of the seattle sounders all of the seattle seahawks and all of the portland trailblazers i believe yeah see i say tim only because he worked with aeg and how many relationships in the music industry does AEG have? And who could they, you know, talk into giving away the rights reasonably for use for the song? <laughs> because that uh, is absolutely a thing that happens, whether people want to admit it or not. No, That's why like- we have old songs. There's such a such a huge thriving music scene in Seattle that 
you know, people thought that it died after grunge. It didn't. <laughs> no, absolutely not. As the one uh, Pacific Northwest outsider, I can say no. M- music is still thriving there. So I don't know that. And there's a lot of a lot of people who were in bands and are currently in bands who live in Seattle. So. Um, I don't know that they really need to go through AEG when they can just, you know. (laughs) This is a suits and a tie league. So, of course, they're going to go through unnecessary channels. Uh, True, true. Oh, but a Casper Baby Pants song for for penalties might be interesting. I have a friend who uh, who's friends with the lead singer of Queensryche, so you know we could work now, something out. Huh? Is Jeff Tate the lead singer? I just know there is a Jeff Tate in the band. Anyway, that's a whole different tangent for a whole different day. Another another podcast. Um. All right, so now I actually have to look to see who the lead singer of Queensryche is, because I can never remember his name. Um, Blah, blah, blah. Well, there is a Jeff. No, that was a past. Jeff Tate's a past member. He's not a current member. Aw, okay. There goes that. That doesn't mean he's not part of another band. (laughs) And this is a band from what? Seven, late seventies, eighties. I, I don't rem- I don't even remember. Um, Queensrÿche, which a lot of people don't know or haven't really heard of these days. Um, nineteen eighty. So they're they're pretty much the like they're right there with ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, Quiet Riot, Blue Oyster Cult. White Snake, etc., and so on. So they weren't quite hair bands. There were before hair bands, but they're definitely hard rock band. So yeah. um, anyway, but yeah, <laughs> total random tangent, music tangent. So she also knows the. Uh, she also she also use, knows who the the. Never mind. That's another. That's a totally different <laughs> We'll just like. I'm not going to name drop anymore. Um. (laughs) Oh, and something just coming down the wire, but it sounds like, ugh, sounds like a Taylor Hall trade is getting close at this point. So let's wrap with this Uh and let's see who, who can be correct. There's Taylor Hall get traded to knowing full and well that it'll happen before this is recorded. Where do you think he heads? Was that the end question? <laughs> Why not? Because I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, you and Patrick had a list of questions lately. And I, since uh, uh, PR is just announcing he will be out for the duration of this podcast. Taylor Hall, where does he end up? <laughs> As we kind of dribble the, the end of this one off. 
you're like, wait, end? We have an end? What's that? <laughs> I do have a question if you want one. But yeah, let, let's do a real that. question because that was terrible. That, that, that <laughs> was... I know. I say he doesn't go anywhere personally, but um, I think it's all talk and, and no action, but... We'll see. All right, so I'll just go on the record and say he probably goes to Boston because it's a narrative, and Boston will get bounced in the first round. <laughs> so I want to see this player play in playoff games, but I digress. So, all right, the real question to end the uh, end the episode on, then, that I have is. Who would you consider the best and or worst social media presence in the NHL period? My question was called off or, uh, you know, offside and then you score on the power play anyway. (laughs) This has been the 3B3 podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.